Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your temporary host, Thomas Alot. Hello! With us on the panel today, we have Charles Wood. Hey, folks. Lucas Reyes. Hello, everybody. And our guest for today is Chris Biscardi. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I work primarily with uh, startups that base their products on open source projects. I am heavy into React and Gatsby and Jamstack stuff right now. I used to work at Docker, so I used to be heavy into uh, containers and Kubernetes and stuff like that. And uh, way long ago, I was definitely into Flash and all that kind of stuff. Ooh, how long ago? Because I was totally into that stuff too for a bit. That was 10 years ago. Before it died, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah, I remember I was so addicted to ActionScript and like, this is totally the future. And then I thought about it for 10 seconds, just like, this is going to be dead any second. I got to get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got it out before me because I I didn't get out until uh, Apple killed it. Yeah, I was going to say Steve Jobs (laughs) bludgeoned it with an iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Are you a React developer who builds large applications for your organization? With NX, you can build your apps in a monorepo alongside your backend code and share code between React and other frameworks. You'll also get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier to simplify your workload. You'll build higher quality apps, share more across teams, and focus less time on configuration. Visit nx.dev react to get Narwhal's free open source set of extensible dev tools. So how'd you get from Flash into uh, Gatsby and React and, and Docker and all this stuff? So I went started out in like Flash and teaching myself ActionScript, right? So I'm, so I'm self-taught. I don't have an engineering degree. I don't even have an art major, actually. I dropped out of college. Started doing consulting work. I called it freelance at the time because I think the work <laughs> was slightly different, you know? Got into Node around like 0.2. Got really into like these alternate languages like Erlang and Clojure and Haskell and stuff oh, like yeah. that. My main two consulting languages for a while were Haskell and JavaScript. Oh, dude. Uh, and then I got a job at Docker in 2014. Stayed there for about two years. Got really into containers and Golang and eventually Kubernetes and all that stuff as well. And then uh, went back to consulting like I normally do. And eventually, uh, one day I was like, hey, Twitter, I have space. And let's see, I've been working with Gatsby since 0.7 or something like that. I think I was the first like major external contributor. And then Kyle was like, oh, well, we're a company now and we have some work you could do. And that work turned out to be themes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, so you're the guy to talk to. Because I've been mm-hmm. Gatsby stuff a little while ago, and I, I was thinking about doing this themes thing. It's like, I could do it like a startup doing like themes for Gatsby stuff, kind of like they do for PHP. And then all of a sudden, like the entire Gatsby world is like, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay, you guys can have it. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. it's funny because I've looked into some of this and we had Chris on JavaScript Jabber and we talked about Gatsby and Gatsby themes. What's funny to me is that we had all that conversation and then a couple of weeks ago I was at Jamstack Conf in San Francisco and there was a Gatsby booth and I walked over there and I'm like, Gatsby's a company? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, you know, and you know, had a had a good conversation with them. And anyway, it was it was kind of funny because I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, that's a shame. I was at uh, Jamstack.conf as well. Would have loved to meet you. <laughs> yeah, if I'd known, I would have flagged you down somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I had a table with tablecloth that said devchat.tv on it. but <laughs> We had the uh, the couch right outside the conference room. It's where I, I was sitting most of the time. Oh, good deal. With the party corgi stickers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Want? You can have. Just <laughs> send me an address and I can send them to you. I have one question for you because it seems that you navigate through very different worlds, like both front-end, back-end, and, and when you talk about like the DevOps worlds, they're so different, so, so many different concerns between, between them all. How did it work in your mind? How, how do you navigate between Gatsby themes 
And Kubernetes, like how does it get organized? Like how does it get organized in my mind? And I guess that's a great question. I just sort of look at things that I think are interesting and impactful and sort of my overriding driver is increasing leverage for other people. Ooh, I like that. So containers were doing that at one point and Kubernetes is doing that at one point, depending on who you ask, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, you know, like React and Gatsby and stuff like that also do that. Oh, I, I man. guess I was hoping for some drama. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, we don't talk about the whale here. Oh, yes. Well, we don't have to talk about the whale here. Uh, <laughs> you know, the whale is, it's been a while. I think I left in uh, late 2015, 2016. It's become a different company since I left, for sure. It's still cool tech. I need more <laughs> <But> information. Yes. <laughs> there is so much Later. information about that online. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a ton. I've only heard rumors and scratched the surface. I don't know much, but I've heard people talk about it. So, yeah, I've had interesting experiences with. Uh, I worked at a place one time that was, it was a mix between like they had the open source stuff and then they had their, their business side and they tried mixing the two. Was, it was weird. And then weird things happened. And then mm-hmm. uh, that company doesn't exist anymore. Uh, long story short. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, I, the one thing I can say, since like one of my prime consulting sort of areas is open source and brought companies built on it, right? Is that I think Docker split their company into like the open source side of the company and the closed source side of the company. And that was probably a huge mistake. Yeah, but running a company, so those decisions sometimes are really tricky to navigate. So it may be the cause of their problems. But yeah, it's, it's hard to know that when you make the decision in the upfront. So let's talk about Gatsby. Yeah, I'm very interested how you got from from doing Kubernetes and Docker all the way over to Gatsby. You said you like started doing it, but like why? (laughs) Because he smarted me. (laughs) Uh, I'll let that go. So I was at Docker and we were building, let's see, we chose React in 2014, right? So, you know, it came out in 2013, everybody was mad at it. Uh, And (laughs) I picked it as the primary tech for the company that I got hired to be the first UI engineer at, right? So we took... React, and we built a server-side rendered universal application, which we were calling isomorphic at the time. That was a little bit painful. It worked. And, you know, we were Docker, so we just spun up more containers when we needed to. And it was DockerCon and people were hitting it. But then I started to leave Docker. Or, like, I don't remember exactly when I made my first commit to Gatsby. But it was somewhere along the lines of, like, I'm looking to redo my blog around the end of the time that I'm leaving Docker. Gatsby is in, like, way pre-1.0. It's like 0.5, 0.6, 0.7 territory. It doesn't have a GraphQL API. It's basically, oh wow! if you chose Hugo and it was like bundled with React, like that would have been what Gatsby was at the time. Let's see, React to Flux had just gotten kicked out of Slack, more or less, and moved to Discord. So I was in uh, Gatsby's Discord channel talking to Kyle, making some contributions and being like, yeah, this is great and everything, but like, I don't want it to be just files. I don't want to deal with just files. I want to deal with like data. I don't want Hugo in React, right? Like that's not the thing I'm looking for. So I think Kyle thought I was just crazy or something like that. I took that idea and I built a proof of concept called uh, Leo that did uh, GraphQL in the same way that Gatsby does today. And then uh, did any UI framework on the other end in the same way that Gatsby does uh, Webpack and React today. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so Gatsby basically took a look at that and then uh, adopted it in their next versions. And now they run Gatsby for everything. So that's how I got in- involved. I think it's fascinating how much open source happens just by people just chatting. Like you get people talking about interesting things and then just like there's something between the the connections between people that just sparks ideas back and forth. Because like how I got started was 
like an IRC back in the Mutuals jQuery days, you know, I just joined the channel because I could. And because <laughs> I was there, it's like, hey, you know, oh, here's an idea. And I just became one of the maintainers because I was one of the people hanging out, sharing mm-hmm. ideas. Do you think that's good advice for like new people starting out, just like hang out with cool people talking about cool stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's probably not bad advice. I'm always hesitant to be like, oh, what advice would you give to new people or like new engineers and stuff like that? Because like the way I started was I got a scholarship to go play volleyball in college. And then that summer, I took the action script Bible and I banged my head through it every day (laughs) of the entire summer. And that's how I learned how to program. I think that where you are and where you end up is really impactful. So that has to factor into your decision making. And it definitely did when I went to join Docker. I was sort of looking at this thing and like all the smart people I knew were kind of talking about what this thing was at the time. And I was like, okay, well, I can go like work on this thing for a while. Yeah, and it turned out to be really useful, right? (laughs) For example, the reason I got involved with Gatsby is because I was building uh, universal React apps in 2014. And if you look at the way that Gatsby is architected and the way that you would architect a server, without streaming, they're basically the same thing, right? If you look at a simple level, it's a React rendered a string, and then you rehydrate on the client. And then there's some data fetching layer in the backend. So, you know, GraphQL comes out, and then I'm, I happen to be in the right spot to know what GraphQL can do for me. And I happen to be in the right spot to know that GraphQL can be a great addition to a static site generator. And, uh, you know, you can trace a line <laughs> yeah. right? about where I happen to be at a given time. Yeah, I also think it's, for a lot of people I've talked to, and I don't know if this is the case for you or not, Chris, but it seems like it's uh, equal parts audacity and not even willing to think about <laughs> if it's hard, <laughs> right? So you just get in and do it because you want it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely have a part of that because like when I learned Haskell and started using it professionally, like, I mean, Haskell, I, I sort of gravitated towards it because people were talking about it in this mythical sense, like they talk about Lisp and whatnot. <laughs> That's not a good reason to really get into something, I guess. Like, I guess it is if it's like a hobby, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I just got into it and I just started doing it. And I was like, eh, this seems hard. Maybe it's all hard. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times looking at things from the outside, it looks hard. But once you get into it, you deal with the hard a piece at a time, right? It's okay, now I need this. Okay, now I need this. And by the time you're done, you realize, oh, I did something hard. <laughs> but at the time, it never felt hard. I mean, I ran a marathon a few weeks ago and I got up to the starting line still thinking, there's no way I can run a marathon, right? But, <laughs> yeah, for sure. you know, I had done the training. And so, you know, the work had already been done. It was just a matter of getting to the finish line. And I think a lot of times people don't give themselves enough credit for that kind of thing where it's, no, I can do this. I just need to put the work in day after day after day. Yeah, a lot of people sometimes just like, they kick themselves out of the room. Like so, so much cool stuff happens just because you're, you happen to be at the right place at the right time. But so many people and so, so often we don't allow ourselves to even enter the room because like, well, I, I don't belong there. I'm like, just go be there, see what happens. Maybe you do belong there. How do you know until you're there? <laughs> yeah, that, that belonging and sense of imposter syndrome is uh, a hard thing to get over. And I think I'm super lucky that my first work was this like, an hour contract, right? Because what learning how to contract did for me is uh, give me this incredible sense of not necessarily confidence, but the ability to go into something and be like, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be doing this right now, but it's just outside my skill set and I'm going to go do it because I need to make some money. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like I need to put food in the table. I need to pay my rent. So I'm going to go do this. 
And if it crashes and burns, then, well, it can't. So I'm going to go do this. <laughs> yep. I love it. Again, I'm going to change the topic back to Gatsby. So do you want to just give people kind of the elevator pitch on Gatsby, like what it is and what it can do for them, especially the React developer? Because I think some people are using Gatsby just as a static site generator and they don't really mm -hmm. think about or need to think about the React implications. But I mean, it uses React. So we may as well say, here's what it does. Here's, here's how to think about it. And here are the advantages that you have as a React developer. Yeah, so as a React developer, if you're used to something like Create React App or you're still manually doing your config or something like that, Gatsby is basically like a Create React App so you can build all that client-side stuff attached to a static site generator that has an API that lets you pull in data from any location that you could want to pull in data from, which is pretty powerful when it comes down to it. Gotcha. So how exactly does it work then? I mean, you talked about a GraphQL API, being able to pull things in from there. You make it sound like it can pull in from REST or even a database or something if you have it set up right. Um, yeah, so it can pull in from what are called sources, right? So if you talk about Gatsby plugins, Gatsby is basically a plugin system. The naming of the plugins doesn't really matter is what I'll preface this with. But if you look at the Gatsby source set of plugins, you end up with a file system source or a contentful source or a WordPress source or a whatever source, right? And the way that it works is these source plugins basically either get added or written by you if you need one. Then you have a set of transformers that take the raw content that you've pulled in, transform it through like a markdown pipeline or an MDX pipeline or a YAML pipeline or just an HTML string pipeline and then gives you the nodes on the other end. And you end up with a GraphQL API that you can query the result of all of that transformation. Awesome. And then what, what does Gatsby actually do with it? I mean, do you just build your site out of components? and React? Or are there APIs built on top of that stuff? How does that all work? So Gatsby has a, a number of lifecycle plugins that allow you to patch into things like the, um, the way that it fetches data, the way that it transforms data, what happens when you create a new node of some type and you want to do something to it. And then basically what ends up happening is you end up happening, having a static build and a client build of your application which is just like saying like, hey, I have a server that I'm running and it's going to render out HTML and then bootstrap on the client side. Same kind of thing, right? And then basically you make your queries in there, your GraphQL queries. You make all your pages. Those pages uh, have like an ID from the URL or something. You send those queries up. They get written out as like basically JSON files. And then at runtime, they can get pulled back in. So you end up with the full set of static HTML and also the client side rehydration from uh, React. So can you explain what rehydration is right quick? So rehydration on a simple level is basically if you have a server and your server is like your React app or whatever, and you rendered a string and you have all of your HTML, at some point you're going to insert a chunk of JSON into a script tag somewhere in your server-side rendered stuff. And that chunk of JSON is going to be all of your data. And then on the client side, somebody is going to load that HTML file or whatever. And then your client-side app is going to rehydrate itself. And what that means is that the client-side React app is going to attach itself to the DOM that's already been rendered, look for that extra data, pull that data in, re-render itself, and then match it to see if it, anything's changed, which in the rehydration case, nothing will have changed typically. And it won't actually produce an operation. Yeah, that's one of the coolest things about React is that you can either render something fresh you know, React, some React tree rendering new DOM nodes, or it can just take the DOM nodes that are already there and just, okay, I'll just going to reuse them as is, 
So that gives us the ability to just like build it on the client side as static HTML. So it instantly renders as it's streaming from the, the server, build, mm-hmm. you know, hooking into the, you know, the streaming capabilities of browsers that have been there since the days of, I don't know, Tim Berners-Lee <laughs> and all this. Yeah, so I mean, you get the, the power and the um, sort of, well, not the power, but the, the speed of having a static HTML file the power and flexibility of having a client-side React app bootstrapped on top of the static site generator. And then also the power of having that JavaScript running in such that you can preload new URLs when you hover over a link, for example, right? So all the loads seem faster, even though they might be the same. That's like one of the craziest features that I've ever seen. Like it used to be like the fastest website you could possibly make was just just a static HTML site because there was you know, no extra processing on the server, no PHP, no extra processing on the client with JavaScript. But Gatsby actually, because of like preloading and all these this fancy tricks, are, actually gets faster than just a statically generated website because it mm-hmm. can dynamically preload the right things or it can just load in the images that you're seeing or it can dynamically build in like a, a low resolution version of all your images, see your images instantly because the data URLs are baked into the, all these extra features. At the end of the day, it just like, it feels like you've just hit fast mode on your computer and it's just like magic. Yeah, and it's like the same thing that people always complain about in like writing their custom ga- uh, Webpack config and whatnot and custom Babel config and et cetera. The same step that takes you from there to a Create React app or a Gatsby takes you from unoptimized images to optimized images with these data URLs and this like medium style lazy loading with the blur up effect and things like that. And you just sort of get all of this stuff because somebody else wrote it. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about the Gatsby ecosystem is that you're not operating isolated on your own, building your own application with your own custom config and your own code, et cetera. You're now part of an ecosystem and there are a lot of people who are smarter than me and uh, whoever (laughs) might be working on it for a particular use case, right? And they've written code that works and they'll probably fix bugs if they come up. Yeah, because that was Uh, the... I'm going to say this totally tongue-in-cheek. Like WordPress. (laughs) (laughs) Like WordPress. (laughs) <laughs> Lol. I swear the most frustrating thing about like the jQuery MooTools days is that you do all this work, you build up something that was really fantastic and then that's it. It would all be thrown away and rebuilt from scratch from the next site. There was no real ecosystem there. You really couldn't share stuff in a scalable way. But it, it feels like we were throwing away all the benefits of open source. Like it was technically open source, but barely. But now with React and Gatsby, we're like, building on the shoulders of giants and then building on the shoulders of the giants standing on other giants who are standing on (laughs) giants all the way down. (laughs) Giants all the way down. That's a really tall chain. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I totally agree with you, right? Because React introduced this component model and now we have a way to like distribute things in a unified way across all of these different kinds of different functionality. And that has really given rise to the next level of abstraction. And, you know... Gatsby is one of those next levels of abstraction. And then themes is another abstraction on top of that. I mean, we're getting to a point where you can build a Jamstack site with a serverless function and you can have all of the functionality that you ever wanted. So one thing that I keep hearing is that Gatsby might be a good way for people to learn React. Is that true or is that insane? I think that it can be true. I think that the documentation is particularly good around the uh, wider ecosystem. So like the extended ecosystem around Gatsby tends to make it into the Gatsby documentation. So if you want to learn GraphQL for the first time or you want to learn React for the first time or something like that, 
Gatsby has a lot of edge pointers and edge documentation for GraphQL and for React and things like that. So I think that it can be a nice environment to learn in, especially since you don't have to touch Webpack, you don't have to touch Babel, you don't have to touch all these other things. And to write your first React component, you basically Gatsby new and then write an index.js file in source pages. So, and then you're just writing React. Makes sense. The best way to learn, in, in my opinion, is to have a specific goal, some, some real objective you're trying to achieve, and then to figure out what you need to do in order to achieve that goal. And it seems like Gatsby is a, a fantastic thing to start with because you can have a, a reasonable goal of like, I'm building a website for a specific thing. I'm going to use this because I want to learn these technologies. But the, the goal, the outcome is I want to build something real. I'm learning this as a path towards getting somewhere real. Yeah, for yep. sure. And I think Gatsby really appeals to developers mostly today, right? It doesn't really appeal to content authors in the same way that a WordPress like one-click install appeals to content authors. I think that themes get us one more step closer to now you don't have to really do much of anything if you want a full-featured blog with all of your markdown files or something like that, or a full-featured blog that comes from WordPress or something like that. Because themes wrap up all of the other plugins and all of the theming and all of the components and all of the data fetching. So what you can do now is basically Gatsby new, you get an entire site and it just pulls from WordPress or something like that. So we're much closer than we were. We're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, WordPress has a GraphQL plugin, so you can actually just hook it up like Chris is talking oh, really? about. Really? Yeah. Yes. WP GraphQL. Oh, nice. <laughs> and and it also has built-in REST APIs, so if you want to go at it that way, you can probably set up the source that way too. Right. So, <laughs> however you want to go after it, there's probably a way. I, I can't guarantee it's going to be painless, but it. So yeah, I actually built a WordPress blog for a recent workshop that I did on really advanced like Gatsby theming composition. And it was, <laughs> I want to say it was painless. I set up a WordPress.com account. I got my account token. I dropped it into the Gatsby config with the WordPress source. And uh, I was done. I wrote some pages. Wow. Like I'm not a really advanced WordPress user, so take that with a grain of salt. But like it was, it was trivial for me to set up. Yeah, so you've I mentioned themes because like... I got tired of maintaining WordPress. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you have a reasonably simple setup, then yeah, WordPress is kind of nice. So you've mentioned themes a bunch of times, and I, I have to admit my ignorance here because I like I played with with Gatsby before themes, so I literally have zero clue what you're talking about when you're saying Gatsby <laughs> themes. What is a Gatsby theme? <laughs> it's the music that plays when the superhero walks out on stage <laughs> or on set. Oh wait, no, that's something else. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. I need to stop being a smart aleck on this show. No, please don't. <laughs> I need to hear all of those variations, actually. Yeah, so Gatsby themes are basically a way to package up any subset of functionality in your Gatsby site into an NPM package and then NPM install it in a different project and use it. So NPM installable subsets of your Gatsby site. Wait, so that sounds almost like it's kind of uh, tackling kind of the same conceptual space as like React hooks of like you can encapsulate and share like a cross-cutting concern subsection of functionality of React components now. It sounds like that concept applied to Gatsby. Yes. So basically, it's if you think about like React hooks that way, then you can think about themes that way for Gatsby. And now you're just working at a higher level of abstraction, right? You're installing a blog instead of installing like a data hook. You're installing oh. like an e-commerce store into your Gatsby site as opposed to... Well, it's you know, not themes. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking like CSS themes. 
I actually hear that a fair amount, especially from people who haven't been in WordPress uh, ecosystems recently. Ah. Uh, if you look at WordPress themes and you look at actually all of the other systems of themes as well, what they come with is basically a data model. And WordPress's data model has historically been blog with some ACF stuff now built in and stuff like that. But basically, you get a data model, you get a set of UI and hooks to hook into, not React hooks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just for anybody listening that doesn't make that connection, not React hooks. You basically get like lifecycle methods or something like that to hook into to render new stuff. And then you end up with a site at the end. And WordPress themes can be, are typically blogs, maybe e-commerce stuff or something like that. You come with a data model, a rendering layer, and like all of the colors and stuff as a result. So the way that Gatsby works is it's that same model, but it's more powerful because of the way that you can horizontally and vertically compose themes and the fact that themes can change the data model. So what you end up with is basically the ability to install either an entire blog vertical composition of like a data model and then the UI or an e-commerce composition, right, of a parent and child set that gives you a theme or a horizontally composable theme that themes the other themes, basically, right? So you have themable themes, <laughs> themes within themes? Yo, dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, dog, I heard you like themes. So I gave them all of the <laughs> themes. But yeah, basically, like, you can think about it in the sense of, like, if you are using WordPress, right, you get one theme. You get a parent theme, you can build a child theme on that, and the child theme might be your site. In Gatsby, you can have data model themes, you can have child themes to those data model themes that implement all the UI, the create page calls, things like that. And then you can also have themes that package up different types of visual functionality that change all the tokens across all of the other themes and give you like a purple site or a black and white site or whatever with all the different spacings and things like that. And at that point, we get into starting to talk about uh, theme UI, which is a related project to uh, Gatsby themes. But, yeah. <laughs> okay, now it's just confusing. <laughs> Theme is an extremely overloaded word. It's like the word uh, node. You're right. <laughs> or object. Or... <laughs> so context matters a lot. Wait, what, uh, what kind of context? Use yeah, context? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> hey! <laughs> but yeah, so uh, when we were thinking about sort of what do we call this, these days, themes are just plugins, right? So we took all the APIs that we were building into themes and we just took them and made plugins more powerful. So plugins can have Gatsby configs now. Plugins can take advantage of shadowing now and things like that. At the beginning, we didn't necessarily know that. And all we really knew was we wanted something that was kind of like WordPress themes that would be able to compete for the Gatsby ecosystem. I hate to say what again, but what's shadowing mean? So if you take a subset of your Gatsby site, right, and you ship it to NPM, and you install that NPM package in a different site, how do you change what the header looks like, right? You don't, because it's an NPM package and you don't have access to the source. A shadowing is a solution to that problem. It's basically saying, if I have a file in my theme at like source components header, and then I want to change the way that that looks, I create a file in my site at Gatsby theme blog components header, and it just replaces it. Okay. I've seen similar concepts in like, I think Moodle or some, some stuff like that. Yeah, I haven't seen Moodle's implementation specifically. Uh, I don't actually know what Moodle is, but it, like it, yeah, online... it exists in other places. It's like the P8, uh, the WordPress for online teaching platform mm, gotcha. things. Yeah, it's learning management system. Yeah, that's it. LMS. LMS, ah. yeah. It's the TLA for LMSs. <laughs> it is. I've done some work with Canvas, which is another one. And, so many yeah. out there. So that's the slang. <laughs> 
I feel very in the know now. Thank you. Right? I feel so <laughs> like I could go get a job doing this now. Like, yeah, it's, it's funny <laughs> that you say that because like I've been working with a bunch of people who are uh, newer to like web development, and they like they come into like my Discord or my Twitch stream or something like that, and they like, oh, what's the theme? And then they end up in my Discord, and we end up talking for like a month or two, and then uh, <laughs> they actually are getting jobs based on the fact that they know so much about themes now. Right? Nice. Which is absolutely incredible to me and something I'm super, super happy about. Yeah. One thing that I'm curious about here. So you made it sound like using a theme is just as simple as basically NPM install. Did I get that right? Or is there more to it than that? So there's a little bit more to it than that. The ideal flow is that you NPM install and uh, you add it to the Gatsby config and it just works. Right. Okay. Whether it works or not is dependent on how the theme author wrote it. So the theme author does have uh, a lot of power. And when you go from building a Gatsby site or something like a WordPress theme where you have total control over how everything is done to the Gatsby model of you're basically building themes as libraries now, right? Where somebody can install it, they're going to be using it in a set of other libraries. And you have to start thinking about whether you're going to break other people's libraries or not. Meta, bro. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if, if somebody builds a theme, and there are some really nice looking themes out there that are meant to be used solo, right? It's just a blog. They do a bunch of additions to the Webpack config that don't compose well with other themes. They do different patterns of importing and exporting files all over the place, things like that. And then on the other end, like in this workshop I just taught, that's uh, sort of the advanced composable themes workshop, you can isolate everything to your theme. So if you have like the emotion theme provider or the style components theme provider or something like that in your theme, and somebody has it in their site, if you install the theme, they'll conflict. Right. So if you have a different JSON token theme set in your theme and a different JSON token theme set in your style components theme in your site, they will override. One of them will win, right? Because that's how the provider is set up. It's not set up to know that there are other providers and to merge them, which it could be. It's just not. So what you end up talking about is like, how do you isolate React context in a way that can pass it just to your theme and then also use it in somebody's site if they want to opt into that. And this is sort of the concept of like, when you're building a theme, you build everything in a very isolated way. And then when you go to compose it into the site or into a child theme that's meant to be used by itself, you can provide a unified interface to like, if you have three themes and you have three token sets for each of those themes because they're all isolated and separate, through your child theme, you can expose one token set and pass that through in the underlying infrastructure so that users don't have to see it. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So imagine I'm starting a site, like I want a blog, I want it to have e-commerce and I want it to have like arbitrary like content pages and like a contact form. And so I'm assuming like 
that so I create a new Gatsby site and then there's mm-hmm. like a theme that's the blog part. I can install yep. that. And then there's the a theme that's the e-commerce site. Theoretically, I don't know if this actually mm-hmm. exists. And I can plug that <laughs> in. So I'm, I'm assuming they each have their own UI components that they render. So mm-hmm. how do I theme the themes and make them all look consistent? I so guess that, theme. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a question. Um, that's, how I, I theme the themes. <laughs> or that's the theme of what we're talking about. Yeah. So one of the things we built and uh, Jackson uh, Black is heading up is theme UI. And theme UI is sort of an encapsulation of all the best practices that we figured out about how to build and theme uh, or, you know, modify the variants of each of the components that you're rendering. And if you use this library, then you uh, get a bunch of things for free about how that works from a theme author perspective, such that you can offer the ways to do that via shadowing, via uh, theme options, things like that to your users. If you don't use that, you kind of have to build a bunch of infrastructure yourself, which is kind of why the library got built in the first place. Gotcha. So like a button component, like all Mm -hmm. the themes that I install, they all have content on it somehow. They all have buttons. How do I, as the the owner of the site, say, okay, this is what I want buttons to be like across the board? Mm -hmm. Right. So each of those themes is going to have a different way of thinking about buttons, right? So one of the problems is that if person A writes a button in their project and they have two buttons and then the person B writes a button in their theme and that's two different buttons. The way that you unify those is that you shadow each of those buttons in each of the projects. So if you have two in theme A and two in theme B, you're going to end up with four files that are getting shadowed. And then they all might point to an import from your project that are the same button. But that's the way that you sort of like hook things into the other themes. Gotcha. Okay, so that's where shadowing comes in is like the customizing the innards of the the theme slash plugin things that anyway, we're getting into the the real specific (laughs) details here. So where do you see like things going next as far as like Gatsby theming react in general, like we just had react conf? Yeah. So over the next six to 12 months is far less interesting to me personally, because I'm sort of (laughs) already there. Right, right. So when I think about what's going to happen over the next three to five years, I think that there are going to be Gatsby-specific CMSs that pop up. I think that there are going to be people that release themes that can pull from a variety of different sources. I think that the ecosystem is going to open up in terms of the number of kinds of people that can uh, try to use it. So like, you've got your content authors, you've got designers, you've got early stage engineers, you've got things like that. People who want to like kind of mess with React or not, And themes will enable those people to do their work in the place that they want to do it and how they want to do it. I think that there are a number of really interesting pathways to explore, like shipping serverless functions with Gatsby themes. So basically, I have this, as an example, I have this theme that I use on my blog. And this theme is called a DevTips theme. And basically what it is, is I write a bunch of MDX files on my blog. Those are very short snippets that are basically tweetable snippets and a bunch of code blocks, right? So what happens when I build my Gatsby site is these tweets get rendered out into a JSON file and the code blocks get rendered out into images. And then I have this function that ships with that theme that gets automatically deployed to Netlify in like on post build in your Gatsby build. So basically, if you install the theme, you get all of this functionality and the, the Netlify function will automatically post to Twitter whenever you hit it. Oh, interesting. So I have it set up to hit from Zapier from my Google Calendar. So I can see oh. these tweets whenever I want via using Google Calendar events. 
Oh, uh, snap. And it just hits my serverless function and it's all set up through a Gatsby theme. So I think that there are like really, really interesting places to take theme yeah, nice. that people have not taken them yet. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of them. Yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like that's, that's really interesting. I gotta, I gotta spend a few hours or months, as you said, like that <laughs> one guy just dropped into the Discord. I thought you were going to say, well, we chatted for a few hours, like months. We've chatted for a few months. I mean, yeah, they, they got started uh, and they didn't know anything about Caspi. They didn't know anything about themes. They didn't know That's anything awesome. about like all of that stuff, right? It's so awesome they had to upskill from scratch. But <laughs> They still felt comfortable to be in the room and to ask the question. Also, I think they could have gotten a job a month ago or like right. weeks ago, right? Because they went and they had this interview or whatnot. And they were talking through the interview and they were realizing suddenly that they're actually one of the, one of the ranking experts on themes in the world today, right? Like, <laughs> like right. they know so much more than like just your average person because they're such an early adopter at this point. Yeah. So taking a step back from Gatsby specific, what do you see happening in like the React ecosystem with, with like the new concurrent mode and all the new uh, stuff? Do you see any, is like any of that applicable to Gatsby? I mean, everything's applicable to Gatsby, <laughs> but you know, any, any specific places where concurrent mode and suspense and all that stuff would be relevant? Yeah, I think that obviously when you turn React or concurrent mode or whatever we're calling it these days on, it's just <laughs> a change at the root, right? So somebody could probably write a Gatsby plugin to do that for your Gatsby site today which is probably something I'm going to do after I get off this call. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you'll get an, inf- inch, bleh, an instant performance boost just from enabling it. And then when you start talking about how data fetching works, Gatsby today has a separation between uh, queries that take variables and queries that don't. The queries that take variables are page queries, and they have to happen in specific types of files called templates, which are just JavaScript files, so don't let the template name confuse you. But they're the root component that is rendering your page. And then there are other files called static queries. And static queries don't take any options at all. And I think that as we move towards concurrent mode, and we move towards this sort of render as you fetch kind of thing, that those could unify into the same querying tool. So today we have use static query in Gatsby. I think in the future we could have use query. And then you could just stick that anywhere you want. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that would definitely be a dream. Because I, I remember that was one kind of hiccup when I was learning Gatsby is, because I, I used Relay back in the day and there's the root query and then there's the fragments and you have to you know mix the one into the other, yada, yada. And I just yep. it completely blanked on that. And then I'm learning Gatsby and I had to learn it all over again. Oh, oh right, it's the exact same thing. <laughs> I know that there's some work going on to sort of realize the promise of Relay from like a couple of years ago in uh, React Router right now. Gatsby uses Reach Router, which is merging back into React Router, as I understand it. So that those changes will propagate through the Gatsby ecosystem, and then you'll get all of that nice data fetching capability uh, from the upgraded React Router whenever that happens. Did we talk about how to build a theme? We actually didn't talk about how to build a theme, but how you build a theme is the same way you build a site. I know that's very vague, but the way that I build it up in my workshops and stuff is basically you have plugins, you have themes, you have your Gatsby site, and they're all basically the same thing. So if you want to build a theme, you basically build a Gatsby site. And the only difference between building a site and a theme is that the paths need to be slightly different because it's going to be an NPM package and not a source in your Git repo or whatever. And if you need a tutorial, there is one on the Gatsby site. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I don't know if I have any other questions. Do you, Thomas? 
I could keep asking questions for hours, but I know, like, I, I think at this point I need to just go start playing with stuff, <laughs> getting my hands dirty. What are you guys doing as far as, like, TypeScript or Flow, or is there an opinion in the Gatsby ecosystem one way or the other? So Gatsby looks like they're going to add uh, first-class TypeScript support. There's an issue open, and it looks like there's some progress on it. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen. I wouldn't want to commit to any timeline for anybody else. (laughs) But yeah, it looks like that's going to happen. Cool. Seems like the whole (laughs) ecosystem is moving. Like, yeah, TypeScript's good. We're done. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't use it personally. Well, I shipped it in production for a year. Well, uh, that that counts as using it. (laughs) Well, I don't use it anymore. That's why I said that. Ah, Uh, (laughs) And I shipped Flow for like a year or two before that. And yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm ha- happy with the experience as somebody who is used to powerful type systems like Haskell's. Right? It, wow. it doesn't satisfy my need for because basically what I found myself doing when I shipped TypeScript to production was double checking myself every time I wrote a type, and I couldn't trust the type system to not be in any under the covers. Right? Ah, uh, yeah. So I would I would write my code, I would write my types, and I would have to double check that the types were correct for the code. And that they weren't just like getting dropped somewhere. Uh, yeah. So I'm not personally personally happy with that. I know a lot of people are, and I know a lot of people use it to great effect. Don't let me stop you if uh, somebody is listening and they want to try it out. I highly encourage trying it out. It's just not uh, it's not for me right now, anyway. Yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yet, yet again. <laughs> we'll have to have a whole conversation about Haskell next. So have you looked at Reason, Reason ML? Yeah. What do you think? Have you played with that much? Uh, I haven't shipped Reason to production, so uh, anything that I can say about it is not going to be particularly well-informed uh, by that. But I will say that it's interesting. I think that there is an extremely high cost to not using JavaScript on the web platform. Mm. Uh, and that cost needs to be offset by something. And I'm not confident that like TypeScript or Reason or Elm or any of those other types of solutions uh, gain enough benefit on the backside of the hump that they introduce. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a um, that's absolutely correct. Like there there has to be a cost benefit analysis. You know, if you have any costs, there has to be way more than equal benefits because yeah. you have to consider the cost of relearning everything you know and <laughs> limiting your your scope of who you will consider working with because they have to use the thing too. And right. Like if you use one of these alternate technologies, you have to think about how you're going to upskill all the people that don't know. It's like the senior people that don't know, which probably will have it a little bit easier because they've been around a while and whatnot. And also the like beginner people that don't know. And that's going to be much harder, right? So you have to have... Oh, I advocate for having a training program in your company anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully this wouldn't be a problem for your company. You being the royal you. But... <laughs> <laughs> if you have the training programs in place and you have enough people to spend the time to do it, you can do that. And if you don't, then you're probably going to be better off with the defaults, right? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Okay, I think I've, uh, I've maximized as much as I can get. I'm going to have to follow up on this offline <laughs> another time because I have more questions forever. And happy to answer questions. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we hear you have a Discord and you're willing to give months of your time away for free to noobs, so... Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> if, uh, like, Well, I, I have a bunch of people in my Discord that like to talk about themes. I have a bunch of people that uh, do various other things in the React ecosystems or Vue ecosystems or whatnot, right? Very so, cool. And you're on Twitch. Um, I am on Twitch. I am on all of these platforms under the same name. It's Chris Biscardi. 
The Discord you probably have to find on my personal site, which has a link to it in the top nav. But everything else, I'm Chris Biscardi on Twitter, Chris Biscardi on Twitch, Chris Biscardi on Christopher Biscardi on GitHub. But yeah. Cool. Nice. One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com. So what we usually do at the end is do picks. So go around the table and say, yep. you know, what do you recommend? And uh, I'm going to let C-dubs go first. Oh, so I have to think on my feet. I didn't actually... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I forgot to prepare. Like, uh, yeah. Let's uh, see. What, what cool stuff do I have in my office? Uh, Gatsby. <laughs> yeah. Gatsby. Gatsby's so nice. I haven't had time to play with Gatsby the way that I want. Right, yeah. Which is why I asked the questions instead of saying, when I built stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had so this issue. Right Why haven't you fixed my bug yet? <laughs> I know, right? That's why we had you on secretly. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then I realized that it was all Chris's fault. So. <laughs> um, it's possible. It's possible that it is. <laughs> nice. I guess one thing that I'm going to pick is, so this weekend I was in Nashville and I was out there for a kind of retreat with a bunch of guys that I talk to every week. You know, we talk about work and life and you know, it's a Christian group. So we talk about faith, you know, family, all of that stuff, right? So whatever you're kind of, I guess, having success with, you kind of get, you know, encouraged by that stuff. And whatever you're struggling with, you get help with it. So I guess a couple of things that I'm just going to put out there. One is, is just find some solid people to be in your life. Yes. And I know that that's hard. I keep hearing that there's a loneliness epidemic. And, you know, I'm, I'm rather grateful that I have enough good people in my life that I see on a regular basis and kind of get the head check with a lot of this stuff. So yeah, go find some people. I mean, even if it's a club that gets together and does something that you're tangentially interested in, I mean, just go go make some human connection. And then the other thing is, is that I've been going through some stuff over the last week and it was nice just to put it all down, right? I just, I set it yeah. aside, spent some time with these guys I mean, there there were like 150 of us there because it, it's a rather large group. I, I wind up talking about 10 of them, uh, you know, the same 10 guys every week. So we were all there together. We were all there to learn together. We were all there to kind of see each other in person because we get together on the internet. And that was just priceless. And so that's the other thing that I'm going to encourage people to do is just get away, get some space with people or without people, whatever you need. Just figure things out, you know, take some time to think. And I know that those aren't either of those concrete picks where it's like, here's the link. <laughs> but that's really been the thing that's kind of made the biggest difference for me over the last week. So, yeah. I'm going to have to second that. One thing that I've been applying lately is I've leveled up so much in my career and through focused effort and practice. And, and it's kind of hit me is that I've leveled up my skills in my career, but my skills in the rest of my life are pretty middling to, to garbage. But like taking those same principles that I've learned at work of like how to run, you know, an agile process and hold people to expectations and manage performance and motivation and yada, 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 and apply it to real life and my family and my kids and of like, how do I help my children level up in the same way that I would help a new person joining the team level up? You know, my... Oldest just graduated from high school. 
How do I apply that? And then how do I treat myself as if I were one of my own employees? How do I negotiate with myself to get future me to do what present me thinks should be done? Because present me isn't doing it. (laughs) And somehow I think that I can tyrannize future me into obeying present me. Like that guy's a slacker. He's not going to do it. So how do I negotiate with him and convince future me to do what present me doesn't feel like doing today? Like, dang. So I'm working on like planning a perfect day of like, what would I do if I could do whatever I wanted while still aiming towards where I want to go? Like totally changes the game. That's kind of a super vague, you know, lifestyle pick too, but you know. (laughs) I totally get where you're coming from. I put the pro in procrastinate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and it's the same deal, right? It's, It's like, okay. You know, and sometimes you have to let it go and force future me to do what present me doesn't want to do. <laughs> it's just life's hard sometimes. Sometimes you've just got to suck it up, buckle down, and get it done. Sure. So, yeah. I guess I'll go into my picks now. Yeah. <laughs> um, no I'll continue. <laughs> actually, I'm going to continue the community train um, because I did actually start a Discord and I started as a result of my Twitch streams, right? Because there were a couple people that kept coming back kept hanging out in chat, kept saying hi every time I went on stream. And I was like, well, it would be really nice to have, like give these people a place so that they didn't have to be sort of lost in between and then come back. Not that they're all lost in between, but like, you know. <laughs> Just hanging um, out on street corners waiting for to start again. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it started as an experiment and it started out with uh, one person and then it was five people and then uh, it was 10 people and now it's uh, tens of people. It's like 56 people. Oh, wow. And it's just a bunch of people who get together and we talk about tech, we talk about themes, we talk about React, we talk about whatever people are working on. Somebody in the, um, we sort of encourage people to like build out our stuff. So we hold each other accountable for our side projects and things like that. That's huge. Yeah, somebody's building a GitHub Actions site that has a ton of GitHub Actions. So they're like the resident GitHub Actions expert in our uh, Discord. And we have people who are like resident experts in other things. And we all sort of like, collaborate. Like I had a problem with my computer yesterday and I was like, well, so I built my own computer and I don't actually know what I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) Hey, does anybody in chat happen to know anything about computers? And like there were a bunch of people sitting in there going like, yeah, I've built them before. What problems are you seeing, etc. Going back to sort of that sense of community, like turns out a lot of the reason that people are just in this discord at all is for the sense of community, for the feeling of having other people to talk to and talk to about you know, relevant interests, even if they're like slightly disparate, like Vue and React or whatnot, right? And it's turned into this thing and like we play games and do things like that. And it's, uh, so if you're looking for a place and uh, you liked what you heard on the podcast, you know, maybe come hang out. Good deal. Yeah, I highly recommend like genuine human connection and especially having real connections with real humans that's not where you work. Because... <laughs> like, <laughs> They can't fire you from this Discord no matter how much you screw up. Like Your work well, connections we, we, can be severed if you instantly. Too bad, we can ban you. So we well, will sure. Too bad. I was going to say, Thomas, I find that uncomfortably reassuring. <laughs> uncomfortably reassuring. They can't get rid of you. Uh, <laughs> but that's a serious swag. thing, right? That's like a lot of people turn into, um, they join a company. They sort of forget to maintain their own life. They may forget to maintain their own blog writing. They forget to maintain their own personal relationships. And they end up having making all of their friends, company friends, and they make all of their work, company work. And you know, it's, it's really easy, especially when you care about something a lot, to slip into that problem and to forget 
about the things that you did before and who you were before, right? So I think that that separation of like, okay, yeah, I'm in work Slack and I have work friends and we do things. But also like I have something outside of work that is mine that I can do, that I can work on, that I can be friends with, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Super important. I'm in this quote and I, I feel attacked right now. So <laughs> like, yeah, I've, I've made that mistake. Like I, I joined this one company and they said, we don't like that you're contributing to open source anymore and you need to choose us or them. Like, uh, <laughs> like um, <laughs> red flag. <laughs> yeah. It's like you hired me because of my contribute <laughs> contributions. Like what? So that was like, and then I picked uh, both. I picked both. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, and sometimes you are in that, that place. Right. And it's also interesting too, you know, when, when stuff comes down the, the pipe, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, you find out who's, who's really your friend and who's mm. got your back. And sometimes you also find out who's got the most to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, it's not always easy, but I've never found an instance where it wasn't worth, you know, being around people, even if you are risking a little bit one way or the other. Yeah, so. totally. You can't grow unless you're a little bit uncomfortable, right? Yep. That's definitely true. I believe that in uh, work and personal and athletics and all of that kind yeah. of stuff, right? If you're not a little bit uncomfortable pushing yourself a little bit, then you're not really going to grow and you're going to stagnate. Yeah. Man, we, we've come up with so many good t-shirt <laughs> ideas in this episode. I know, right? <laughs> we need it. Who's we starting the Gatsby t-shirt theme? Story. <laughs> <laughs> and if it, you want to be uncomfortable, I can help with that. <laughs> that made me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, my shirts usually don't fit. So, I mean, I'm already uncomfortable. <laughs> you do have a particularly cool shirt on today, though. That's yeah. Oh, thank you very much. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. I got my um, React Conf shirt on from 2018. So, nice. Oh, nice. nice. Actually, might get prints of this shirt with the uh, party corgi all over it. A nice. Uh, so, we'll see if that happens. Uh, but it's, it's potentially in the works. Exciting. Nice. I love that little thing. Sticker swag. <laughs> we need all this thing. All right. I was going to say, our poor listeners. <laughs> oh, they hung up hours ago. <laughs> we should live stream this one of these days. Uh, Except then we can't edit out all the parts where we were totally dissing, <laughs> censored, and redacted. And It has crossed my mind. <laughs> the live stream of the shows. Yeah. I've had people ask about it too, but I have a few friends that are in the biz, so to speak. You know, because I talk to podcasters. Sure. And I haven't talked to anybody who really gets a ton of traction off of their live stream. So, so I do a lot of live streaming. I do like three I, ha I haven't made a priority. And I don't think that live streaming is a place to like accrue new people or like get new viewership or something like that. Right. It's only a place to strengthen the bonds of the viewership you already have. Ah, interesting. So it's, it's not, basically a nod to your super fans. Yeah, it's it's not a place where people find you. It's a place where you connect more with people that are already around. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, our show could stand to to deepen our connection with our uh, viewers slash listeners yeah. since there's nothing to view, I guess. <laughs> no, view is the other show. Oh, yeah. on that note. <laughs> is that the intro blurb? View is the other show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the other show. <laughs> Welcome to the other side. How's view doing these days? Like, I haven't really checked out view much. View 3 I mean, is I, coming out. Yeah. I know it's popular in China. That's all I know about view. <laughs> <laughs> like that's literally it Something also popular at Streamlabs it's, it's <laughs> interesting because Vue is growing React is growing Angular is growing that's um, great people talk about market share growth I don't know how accurate those numbers are and I don't know how accurate they can be 
but I mean, I go look at the the communities at large and they're all growing. So that's good. Okay. It's good to have options. Like the worst mm. would be if React was the only option, that would be bad. Yeah, the single option thing or like the thing where like one framework owns the ecosystem and also like, I don't know, the official plugins for that ecosystem or something like that is like yeah. a weird dynamic because then you get into the, okay, well, somebody else built a plugin that does the same thing as an official plugin and what happens now? It dies. <laughs> yeah. It well, dies. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, how do I put it? Like, I don't think that people get lazy when there's not competition, but it does put you in a different mental state when there's something else out there that is coming up behind you. So I think that the, especially with respect to UI frameworks and the people actually working on them, I don't know that a lot of them view it as actual competition, right? They don't. I think that the, a lot of them share a lot of the ideas that come up and things yeah. like that. Yeah, it, but the, this is not hacker news. <laughs> but the flip side of it is, is that there have been things that Angular has innovated that React has adopted. React has innovated oh, yeah. that Vue and Angular have adopted. You know, and so that's the other thing, right? Is oh, we had this problem and it hurt more than it hurt over there, and it turns out our solution is really great for everybody. Yeah, for sure. like we need people approaching similar issues from completely different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like, I guess WordPress owns like 30% of the internet at this point, right? That's a good I amount. Was listening, yeah, I was listening to a podcast between, uh, I think, DHH and uh, Matt Mullenweg, right? One of the things that they were talking about was basically, okay, so WordPress owns 30% of the internet, and you just raise money, and you want to get to 80%, and don't you think that's a bad idea? And I think that, well, I won't share my opinion, but if you're, if you're interested <laughs> in that discussion, check out that podcast. Uh, I don't remember which one it was, but it's... Uh, DHH and Matt Mullenweg, and it's probably their reboot podcast or something. Oh, that's interesting. DHH is an interesting guy. I love people with with intense opinions. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, the guy who started Mutools was very opinionated, which was <laughs> why everyone loved him, except the people who hated him. Yeah, I think that you have to have some of that though, right? Like, yeah. I think everything, every technology that I've aligned myself with that has either done really successful things or like been a really interesting part of increasing leverage for other people has been a thing where like there's a bunch of people that really love it. And then there's a bunch of people that are like, nope, definitely <laughs> not. Yeah. yeah. There's something to be said for that as long as the uh, people saying nope are not getting uh, sort of dumped on, right? Yeah. Yeah. As long as we're being human about it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that everybody's trying to do the best they can. Sure. And a lot of people realize too that they have to live with whatever decision they make. And so, you know, they make decisions for different reasons than I might. <laughs> so there are also a lot of people that don't realize they're going to have to live with the decisions they've made <laughs> there are also situations where you don't realize what the consequences are going to be so it makes life a little bit tricky sometimes yeah I've heard a few people talking about this recently once uh, at ReactCon some, somebody was talking about it at length I don't remember who or when or what or why but <laughs> that some abstractions, it's really, really easy to, you know, design the abstractions ahead of time and then you're using the abstractions as you're building the thing, but then it's impossible to remove or extract the abstraction later. Whereas if you just do it the dumb way and just copy and paste, it's really easy to add an abstraction later and then code mod. Mm -hmm. But if you do it the other way around, it's impossible to change your mind later. I think a lot of us get stuck by doing something clever now and we underestimate the ramifications of the, the long-term maintenance of that decision down the road. <laughs> yeah, so bringing it back to Gatsby themes for a second, I'm really proud of the way that uh, we sort of built everything in user land and then yes. moved it into Gatsby core. 
most of it is still pretty much a separate thing. Like shadowing is a Webpack plugin. Uh, Ooh, that, and I like I recently published that code to NPM as a separate package. So like if somebody else wanted to use it, they could. There was a decision between do we make themes something separate, right? A, a new config key, basically. Yeah. Or do we merge them into like the APIs that we built into plugins? And to me, the obvious answer was merge them into plugins because that's all everything is anyway. And having this separation doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Aside from like the marketing and documentation aspect, which is why like you have Gatsby Source and Gatsby Transformer and Gatsby Theme now. In spite of like the, the marketing and documentation aspect of I'm trying to do this thing and this name helps me understand that concept. Right. On a technical level, there was no reason for them to be different. And there's now basically no additional API that is like the themes API. There is Gatsby plugins and Gatsby sites and they're basically the same thing. And I love that. You can do whatever you need to do. Yep. <laughs> I know I keep coming back to React hooks, but I'm just so in love with the way that they've done that. And they've, like, they've built a lot of the React stuff on the hooks. Then they did hooks because they wanted to build stuff with hooks. So they invented <laughs> hooks, gave everybody hooks so that they could build everything mm-hmm. on hooks. And then all your custom hooks you just use underlying hooks. It's like hooks all the way down. <laughs> hooks all the way down. Yeah, and it's all like yep. the same API. It's not like they get some special secret sauce that the rest of us aren't allowed mm. to have. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really dislike about like the Go ecosystem mm. is that the core has some special APIs that they can use. Like they have generics. What? Core has generics. What? Uh, and like stuff like that, right? The wider ecosystem, it's sort of like core knows something and can use APIs that like the ecosystem cannot. And I think there's a lot of power in both approaches. I don't think that they took the wrong approach, quote unquote. But I think that when you look at things like the way that Gatsby is doing it, is anything that you can do with Gatsby is just sitting there as an API that you can use. Whereas with like Go or something like that, there are things you can't do. So when coming up with new use cases, I think that the the former approach where everything is available to you if you need it and like hands off if you're going to go into core and do something, but like you can if you need to. And that's the way that new things come up. So it, it seems like we've kind of learned our lessons in the in the ecosystem of like there's throughout all of human history there's always the balance of you know freedom versus security of um, more options versus more certainty and variety versus certain it's like but we we've seemed like we're getting better at at balancing the two of like mm-hmm. mutuals gave you all the variety of like you could pass in any input into any API and it would try to do its best but that it gave you more options at the the cost of less certainty. So you didn't know, like, if you screwed up, like, there was no way to know, there were no error messages or, like, anything like that. <laughs> and, but, and then things like React hooks and Gatsby themes, and it's, like, even NPM and Node itself is, like, we've gone all the way to fantastic levels of options and configurability and variety, while still having really good certainty because we have idioms that work, we have certain rules and conventions that you can violate if you want, but you're going to lose out on all of this freedom if you do it. Like you only get the freedom if you buy into the certainty, which lets everybody build faster by having things done in a certain, in a certain way. So you have, you're building on certainty in order to get to more freedom and more possibilities. I'm in love with that kind of the dynamic between these two forces. Yeah, I think I'll, I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger and basically say that mm-hmm. I'm interested in the way that Natterdabbit's recently released Jamstack CMS solves this problem on the cloud provider level. 
Okay, I gotta go. I'm not gonna say anything else about it, but there's there's your cliffhanger. That's like a mic drop moment. My like third pick or whatever at this point. Okay. (laughs) Yep. All right. This has has been been real fun. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's a load of fun. All right. See ya. Yeah, bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>